0: Welcome to Dumpy Little Unicorn. Today I'm joined by the actor and novelist Luke Arnold. Luke, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Cheers.
0: So you're best known for playing Silver on Black Sails, but there's also been a great deal of buzz around your upcoming debut novel, Last Smile in Sunder City. And I'm just wondering if you could tell me what it's about.
1: Yes, so it is, a I guess, like a detective fantasy story. So uh, it's about Fetch Phillips, who is a man for hire. So essentially like a private eye, you know, hired gun kind of guy who's uh, in in a fantasy world that's kind of reached its industrial revolution. Sunder City is kind of its, you know, New York or its London. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then six years ago, the magic died. Fetch was in some ways... You know, well, at least he feels partly responsible for the event that killed the magic. So now he's kind of, yeah, working as a man for hire, doing odd jobs to try and pay his way back for his mistakes. And his first case is tracking down a missing vampire professor named Edmund Rye. So in the first book, we kind of go on that case while we also get some flashbacks to um, where Fetch came from and uh, some of the events that led up to the kind of catastrophic event known as the CODA.
0: Yeah, sure. So I, I've started reading it and I really love Fetch's voice. So have you always been a writer or is this just something that you've started recently?
1: Look, I always, I mean, we're going kind of if I think back to high school, like, in, oh, in primary school even, I think writing is what I wanted to do. It's what I always did do. I was always creative. Um, and then the acting almost came out of writing in some ways. You know, you, yeah, when, when it comes to doing, like, skits and things at school or, you know, I was kind of writing plays and then you end up being in them. And I think once you perfor- – well, I found that, you know, you start performing and people ask you to be in things. So they're kind of – Kind of towards the end of high school, started doing other plays and short films and being in other people's things, but was always still writing as well. Then I got kind of when I went to university, I got into a writing course, a filmmaking course, and an acting school. And so I, a bit in my mind, I was yeah. like, I think acting's a young, you know, good to get into a bit younger, maybe. Yeah. And probably at that time in your life, you know, because yeah, I think everyone who does school plays and stuff, it's so social as opposed to sitting on your own in a room writing, which I'm quite liking at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. But it was, I kind of went off into acting knowing that I'd return to writing one day. Um, it was almost, a you know, a 10 year plan. And it was almost 10 years of professionally acting before I then took the time to go and write this.
0: Cool. Because um, that was one of the things I wanted to sort of ask you is, because I, I mean, I studied drama at uni and English and the whole sort of you know creating characters i guess sort of like the process of creating a character in acting is kind of similar to the process that you go through as an author and i was just wondering if you had thoughts about that
1: yeah i think the the some of the most fun for me is when you is is when you get to talk to the other creators, like the writers, the directors, and really put things together you know, do the real work on your own, but then bring it in and have those great discussions about why people are doing what they do, how you can put those little details into the performance that you know, will really make it seem, really make it come to life onto this person like they're a full human being and, you know, not just this character that exists at this moment. And sometimes I do, like, I think I've always loved that more. And then when I have to then step in front of the camera and do it, it's always like, oh, now this feels like work. You know, the the (laughs) real fun is the rest of it. So in some ways writing is like I get to do the bit of acting I enjoy the most, which is all the imaginative, creative work. And then I, you know, don't have to do the tap tap dancing bit at the end, which is quite nice. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So, yeah, and there are some, and I do think, so there are some crossovers there and i do think especially when um where i hope you know the thing from acting that i've learned the most that comes in the writing is you know when it comes to secondary characters and things that you know i think you as an actor you get a real ear and a real sense for when a character's fully fleshed out or when they're just moving the plot that needs to be moved for the protagonist so i hope that you know when you bring a whole cast of characters to life that some of that acting background you know, make sure all those characters have their own internal world and their own drives coming through.
0: Sure, because that was one of the things that I've noticed really is that uh, Fetch's voice is just so clear and, um, you know, I can hear the cadence in my head and I was just wondering sort of where he came from.
1: Yeah, so I think, look, I, when I was, you know, in my teen years, really, like, you know started watching bogart movies and loved that whole film noir style i Mm -hmm. think some of my love of filmmaking and acting came from those old black and white films um reading the reading raymond chan the novels and love and then and also like finding other things there was a game called grim fandango that borrowed uh yes you, you know yeah that i i think even probably some of it was i don't know which came first but kind of then the games i was playing and kind of I found references and other things that all reference that noir stuff and that style I really enjoyed. And then, so it was kind of always there and I, you know, over the years either wrote short stories and things that used that style. And in some ways I've really allowed myself to let loose with Fetch because it's not exactly a deconstruction of that archetype, but it is partly this book and this series is a bit of an examination of in some ways the the danger of idolizing that kind of that kind of character as something to look up to or aspire to i think you know especially when you're you know when you're a teenager and you care what everyone thinks and full of all those insecurities that idea of being like you know a jaded you know a jaded yeah. detective who doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks of him and you know is quite appealing but you you know as you grow up you understand that if you get to that point where you know, you're drinking during the day and you can be so cool because you don't give a shit about anything that probably something quite terrible has happened and maybe you're actually not the best person, you know, to for the people around you yeah. and actually doing that much good in the world if you're broken to that point. So yeah. that's kind of where well, what Fetch is, it's a little bit of taking that archetype and breaking it apart a bit, in some ways indulging into that kind of like, Because I love that, you know, that beautiful, you're allowed if you write this kind of book, I think, to indulge in the inner world of that character and that voice. And I think especially because I'm going deep into it, I've allowed myself to really indulge in it. Yeah. And then it's also, you know, I guess it's kind of nice just as I've been exploring his world and, you know, we get some flashbacks in this first book the more time I spend with him, the easier that voice comes to me, the clearer it is in my head. And so the more fun it is just to, you know, walk around the town in his shoes.
0: Cool. And that kind of brings us to a good point for the reading, if that's okay.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's a lot, you know, it it takes a few different tones here. It's, there are some fun parts in the book, Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, can get quite bleak. I probably will do I'm going to take a little bit of chapter five. Sorry, I should have bookmarked this. Uh, Chapter five. So Fetch has started his investigation and it hasn't been that successful too far. A bit of the idea is in this world, most magical creatures, the magic is fading. Their bodies are falling apart. And so a vampire, like vampires, are just crumbling into dust. So he doesn't have high hopes really that he'll find this vampire. He's He's found a little bit of a lead. So he's... But while he's waiting for a meeting, he kind of finds himself wandering back to a place known as the Governor's Mansion. And this is Fetch. We kind of pick up Fetch as he's just outside the mansion. And I'm actually gonna do an American accent because I do, I I kind of always picture Fetch with an American accent. And I did do the audio book recently in that accent. So I'm gonna, I'll drop into a little bit of my Fetch mode. Okay. The front of the mansion sagged like the face of an ancient grandmother, worn and weathered and abandoned. A clay pot on the porch held a long dead shrub and as I lifted it up the branches crumbled into sawdust. Beneath the pot was a key. I could have forced the lock on the rotten door with one hand if I wanted to, but I turned it gently as if the brass itself might crack. The air inside was rich with mulch and wet grass. Light came through the cracked roof hitting pollen and dust that swirled through the pillars of the once grand entrance hall. Walls once spotless white, but now carpeted with thick moss. The seemingly indestructible marble staircase had been pulled to pieces by wild roots and weeds. Vines, thick and intertwining, traced the floor and climbed the fixtures. They burrowed between the floorboards or rolled in through doorways, joining together in the centre of the room, where they wrapped themselves around what appeared to be a carefully placed centrepiece. I often wondered what it would be like to walk into that house without knowing what I knew. I would probably think I was looking at the most finely carved wooden sculpture ever created. I would be sure that the face of the girl, shaped in pale timber, was an artist's dream, if I hadn't seen those cheeks full of color. I would imagine that the hair, flaked in strips of curled bark, was an unreal creation if I'd never let it run through my fingers. I would look at those perfect lips and marvel at the skilled hand that had shaped them out of cold, dead wood, if I was spared the memory of the warmth that had once poured out of them onto mine. Her arms were wrapped around her stomach like she had a bellyache. She did, when it all ended. Her soul was being torn from her body like a page from a book as her shattering hands struggled to hold herself together. Those fingers, once so gentle, had grown into wild vines that wrapped around her frame, choking her fragile body. Last time, the cracks had been thin, barely noticeable. Now, they would fractures split her stomach in a dozen places. One major fault line had reached her left breast, cracking it in two. The white nurse's uniform that once covered it was now a rotten mass of brown cotton. I wanted to touch her. I felt my shaking fingers ache with a need to stroke that splintered face, but fear held them to my sides. Even the smallest touch could accelerate the dick. This body once contained the strongest spirit the world ever knew. Now a tap could shatter it to pieces. On windy nights I would lie awake, seeing her face split and crack in my mind's eye, fearing that the next time I saw her she'd be nothing but soot and splinters. But there she was, holding on by a hair. Even now, her skin peeling off in sheets, her body a broken stump, she was the toughest damn thing I ever saw yeah we'll leave that as a little oh, sample of wow. the book
0: that oh that's such a good image it's, <laughs> it's really, just really really powerful that's that's excellent so so this world is a world that where magic has gone and there has been a an event the Coder. can you tell us a little bit about that or is is it too much of a spoiler
1: no I we, we definitely get some more details as it goes on but early on we find out at least the story being told is that you know in this magical world you know there was a river of magic beneath you know like in a like in our world like everywhere there were many ideas about where the magic came from but one of the theories was that there was this river of magic beneath the crust of the planet and so the humans being the only ones without magic feeling like they were being left behind Mm -hmm. uh found out where the source of that where there was a kind of a spot of a, a part of the world where that river reached up and came to the surface. So they went and found that spot with the intention of harnessing the magic, so their machines could be as powerful as the magic. And when they did that, the river froze. So it that kind of pure mist turns to crystal. The dragons fell from the sky. The elves aged centuries and seconds. Kind of the shapeshifters, like werewolves, get got kind of trapped between two two forms and kind of every pretty much this is a whole mishmash of every creature here and each of them have gone through a different change in this post coder world and any as then anyone connected like the fairies and any of the fae like the Amari the woman we've kind of just met there died froze went turned back into the elements so yeah and so that's 6 years before our story starts but we do get some flashbacks leading up to that point and find out a little bit more detail on what happened
0: okay cool um i just It's just kind of reminded me, sort of, does this? It kind of feels a little bit like sort of an allegorical metaphor, almost for what's going on at the moment. Is that something that you think you've you've done deliberately, or is it just subconsciously with with the world seemingly? Well, at least you know Australia's been on fire.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it is. I have to say, it was a the original intention behind it, and mm. the, and what I was first writing from was a much more internal idea, kind of about that kind of followed Fetch in the way that examining a bit more about kind of identity and maybe masculinity, but especially about growing up and that idea that the world seems magic when we're kids, and then one day, and then you make these choices, and one day you turn around and the world's not so magical anymore. But you kind of know it's your fault. Like you, you know, we have, by by fulfilling these ideas about what it is to be a grown up, what it is to be a serious human being in the world doing the right things so that other people will see us in a certain way, we cut ourselves off from a lot of the wonder that might have been there when we were young and how hard it is to get that back if you've done that. So that was the initial idea that said the world is a fucking mess right now <laughs> sorry that it is and so there is which you know is terrible but for writing this series there is so much to pull from about how do you do good in a broken or breaking world yeah. and definitely I think probably the direction of the books is pulling a lot more from that than maybe it would of if you know everything felt peachy you know everything yeah. felt really lovely because it it, all the conversation I'm having with, you know, everyone right now, it's all about what do you do? How do you actually, how do you try and change things for the better in ways that are actually productive in ways that are, you know, do you, is it to actually do, you know, huge changes where you try and change the system is it about being good to the people around you. And I think those questions really come into play more than it actually being, you know, it I know the magic diet seems like a very a real climate change dynamic. And I think it's obviously some of that stuff comes in, but that definitely wasn't the impetus behind it, though it mm-hmm. does seem, you know, an almost one-to-one <laughs> correlation <laughs> at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think it's just with, I mean, because obviously you wrote this, you know, far before all this started, but it was just, you know, reading it and thinking, well, you know, everything, you know, pl- places have literally been on fire. There's so much horrendous, you know, stuff happening at the moment. It it just, yeah, it, it does become really, really difficult. And, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, like, I'm trying to sort of bring this with this podcast is this little ray of joy that I'm just trying to spread by sort of um, interviewing people and talking about stuff. So that's, you know, you, you do what you can in your own way kind of thing. So there's there's that.
1: Yeah, and and I do think that's kind of where I've always where and it's interesting seeing some responses that I, I feel really lucky you know so many of the reviews of this book has been great mm-hmm. and occasionally stumble across you know uh you know some people who get frustrated by Fetch's kind of lack of taking charge and, and initiative and look that, and I kind of envy those people in some ways if they're like and you're, you're meant to be frustrated with Fetch in this but I do think this it's interesting with with this book and this character that you know at other times it may be felt right to have you know these and someone comes to your door and says hey here's this quest if you do this it'll make everything better and you know you spend the character spends one night thinking about then heads off the next day and then it's all about doing the thing yeah and instead we're in we're at this time where like there are so many things that like where we all get stuck in this weird place i think we're, we 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 kind of think we know the things we should be doing to make it better, but we're kind of not doing them. Or every day we we go like, you know what, I'm, you go to bed going, I'm going to do this tomorrow and then you don't and then you beat yourself up about it. And it's actually becoming a better person and being a force for good in the world is tough mm-hmm. and you have to get, and usually the thing standing in our ways is, is ourselves and all these questions about like, well, why me? You know, like, oh, and, and you know, or I'm, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, it's all this internal stuff that gets in the way of you actually just waking up and going, you know what, I'm, I don't know if I can fix everything. But if I do this, that'll make the world better for people around me and myself. But how hard it is to actually do that. So there is a bit of that in, you know, what what I'm trying to do a little bit with these books is. You know, because it's a fantasy, you you understand there is this epic quest there. There is some, you know, and you feel like maybe a better man could <laughs> go and make yeah. things. You know, this book could all be over in one chapter if there was a real hero, you know, that was asked to go on this mission. But how few real heroes there really are. Yeah. You know, I in in our world, it's like, God, wouldn't it be lovely if just that person rose up and made everything better? But we keep looking around and they're not showing their face yet.
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, and also I think, you know, when you've got a, a flawed hero or sort of, you know, an anti hero or the protagonist that is, you know, not perfect and has, you know, real demons that they struggle with to be able to get to the point where they can do the thing, it makes it a much more interesting story anyway. But that, you know, you, you kind of need there to be some degree of difficulty for them to get over to make it satisfying.
1: Absolutely. And I've definitely, yeah. and it is, you want both internal and external and I've definitely loaded up the internal with fetch, especially in this first book. And, you know, and hopefully he'll, you know, gets a little more of the books goes on, starts finding, you know, finding his direction a little more, but I always see his kind of like, you know, like develop, you know, in real life. And I like character development that kind of loops around on itself a little Mm -hmm. bit. You kind of, whether we do often end up where we were, you know, you, you're trying to get ahead, but you stumble back, but you hope you're always like, when you get back to that spot, that you're a, you're a little smarter or a little bit more capable. You're one step ahead than you were when you started off. So, yeah, it's it's maybe a bit of an experiment in how far I can, <laughs> how, <laughs> how slow I can take this character development and how, how, you know, how many times Fetch needs to, you know, get slapped and beaten up before he really gets moving.
0: Yeah, and he does get beaten up a lot. <laughs> he, he
1: really does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's a bit of a note in the second book almost a bit of a, where he has a bit of a realisation that, you know, that he's, well, you know, I think it is his guilty conscience, like how much that's really what he wants. Until he knows what he wants to do, you know, he gets some catharsis from having his nose broken every yeah. now and again.
0: Brilliant. Okay. So just moving on because I think I've got several friends who would literally kill me if I didn't ask some questions about Black Sails. So, <laughs> so I I loved Black Sails. It, it was a show that really affected me deeply and I just love the fact that it went to difficult places and it was uncompromising and it's sort of like post-colonial and it was queer and it was just fantastic storytelling. Um, so you know simple question to start what was it like working on that show and, and you know, when did you realise that it was something special?
1: I mean, it was the best thing working on that show. And I, I it's it's ruined me for, in some ways it was <laughs> great and allowed me to kind of turn to writing for a bit because, you, you know, finishing that, I was like, what are the chances that the next show I'm on for a long time will be anything like that? It's mm-hmm. so rare that you get writing that good and people caring that much and and to do it on a to do that kind of show with that kind of writing on a scale that huge is amazing because, so yeah, I think it really, you know, the I think it was kind of halfway through season one where we really knew we had, you know, we had some great creatives. We like kind of everyone came together and at first everyone's just panicking. All the actors are just hoping they don't get fired, you know, and everyone else, yeah. everyone else is worrying about hoping the ships don't fall over and it all comes together and it's a mad scramble to get the ball rolling and then we had a director called Mark Munden come in for episodes five and seven. And he his deal was when he came on to direct, he was like, yep, I, I need to rehearse everything over to every scene that's more than two pages. We have to rehearse, have to have rehearsals or I won't do it. And that's when, you know, John Steinberg was like, absolutely, we'll definitely do that. And we were doing some rehearsals before, but not in what started happening where, like, when we got the scripts, you knew they're the kind of scripts that stand up. Under work. You know, when you mm-hmm. go to – there's a – some a lot of TV scripts don't. Often you can get a script and you're like, okay, this – you know, you 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 pull apart the script and you go, there's not too much subtext to get here. Yeah. You know, some of it's a bit corny. So actually it's uh, – you know, what you see a lot of TV actors do is you kind of end up flatlining a bunch of stuff and just getting it out because if you bring too much attention to, you know, the, the writing, it doesn't actually – it you know, it doesn't yeah. do it a service. But this, So once we're in those rehearsal rooms – and then we had and and it really it just really started to come alive and we as actors because what also happens is when you're on a show that big with all the like green screens and everything behind if you if you don't get a chance to rehearse you it's hard to put a lot of yeah. your own self in the performance because while you're in hair and makeup and and they're starting to block things out they'll choose you know once they've kind of set which way the camera's going and put things around you rock up they're like okay so you're going to move from here to here and you're like oh I thought I'd do this thing and they're like look for us to move you know for them to move the camera around that's gonna we're gonna lose another hour and it all disappears so those rehearsals started where we got to run it like a play and we the actors were good enough and the writing was good enough and we were given enough license that we'd go in and you try it this way the other way we go actually we're on the wrong we should be up on top of the deck or we should be down below and you could do that Mm -hmm. and let uh, all like let that Go wild. So that, and then uh, the cinematographer would be there but watch silently until we decided what it was. Then he'd like film it on a little camera. So they knew on the day they'd set what the writer, director, and actors had decided together. That started happening halfway through season one, really took off in season two. And from that moment, and once that started happening, the whole kind of culture of the whole thing changes. We feel much more ownership about what we're doing, which gives us, makes us. Like we we'd come to those rehearsals off book, which means we you know we knew our scenes yeah. back to front, yeah. or like two weeks before we'd shoot, which means oh you can it, it can become a whole other thing. It also means when the actors are doing that, the writers know they can they can do more than what you you know if you if you know you've got a cast that are learning their lines in the makeup chair and going mm-hmm. in, it, it's a different thing when you know you're writing for like yeah this kind of roving, roving theater troupe you know <laughs> on pirate ship. Sorry, these, these I'm giving you a very long. No,
0: no, to no, 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 but it's yeah, it, so absolutely fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
1: yeah, good. I'm glad. It it just really there. It it, it and you felt and it, you know was there at the start, but really from that moment, it it just did feel like well we're really going in every day to make it the best show on television, and everyone in every department is doing that. And for the whole, you know, then it became for the whole four years, no one dropped the ball. And you you know, and you see. You know, I've, I've done lots of guest roles and this and that. It it was amazing, you know, it's amazing even when you see the new directors coming in or other cast coming in from that first table read when everyone's, you know, everyone's barely looking at their scripts and it's like, it's just got an energy to it that excites anyone else coming in. Um, And that and so much of that, of, of course, then comes from John Steinberg, Dan Schott, Robert Levine, the amazing then other writers back in L.A., who you know, just cared so much. And it begins there and then every other person every other person on the way just really cared about the show. And stars were great in really letting us run with the ball and, you know, take the show where it needed to go. That was another thing in season three where, you know, I think you know John came in with like, okay, I know we won't get all this, but it's like we want to drive a ship on fire into a bunch of other ships. We want to do this into a shark hunt, a storm, and, you know, like pitch these, you know, these four things to kick kick off the season. It's like, look, these are just four things we want to do. And they were like, yeah, we want to see that. Take the, you know, take the money you need to do all those things because that sounds amazing. And so (laughs) that license is, because it's so, you know, it could have they could have very easily gone, hey, you've got your pirate, you've got your ship, you've got your pirate town, that's it you know, like do your show, use what the assets you've got to tell, you know, your pirate story, you know, around what you've built, which, you know, in season one was a little bit like that. There were some other things, but, you know, that was the first set. That could have been a show and you could have made a great show set around the pirate, you know, in in a pirate town and on a couple of ships and that could have been fine. But the fact that they kept willing to fork out the money to do the crazy stuff we got to do was amazing.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, just the backstory for flint which was just incredible and that whole and the relationship between silver and flint was was something of a just a joy to watch and the way it was like every scene between you was just oh delightful just it, yeah do you, oh i'm just i'm gushing now but yeah just, no,
1: it, no but it, it like it was to, to do those scenes with an actor like toby stevens every day is like I mean, it doesn't get any better it was, and it was as, I think that's that thing where, you know, you do some stuff and you look back and go, God, I wish we'd known, you know, how good this was when we were doing it. It was like, Oh, we knew, you know? And I think everyone very early on, we understood that we were part of something special and you can't not, when you're doing those kind of scenes, when you get like, no shows go like, Hey, here's a 10 page two hander. That's just you and this incredible actor going toe to toe with each other, Mm -hmm. you know, in in the last season it's like we're getting that every episode you know and yeah. it began with season you know beginning of season two it's like okay it's just you two taking over a ship together doing that it's like are you kidding me this is amazing and look toby stevens is an amazing actor but flint he's just him that actor and that character the merge of those two is absolute perfection
0: yeah. um
1: so if you spend any time with Toby, you know he has this duality in him. He is the most love, you know, the most lovely, polite man you'll ever meet so friendly. And then this like this, you know, but he also has this dark side, you know, if he's you know, if his food hasn't come on time or something, you know, never mean, but you just see this, you know, that other
0: side okay, come it's out steel. of it. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you're just like, oh my, they couldn't have picked a better person for this role to have a man who carries both those sides mm-hmm. uh, in him. He's the funniest, loveliest person in the world. So to have him playing that role and also to have the balls where you don't know what's driving this man till halfway through the second series, series—that's yeah. a, it's a hell of a thing to hold that back for as long as they do. Yeah, it's it was amazing. Yeah, so John writing for Toby, playing that role, is just one of the greatest characters in all of television, I think. Yeah. And I got to witness it, you know, inches away. It was great.
0: Brilliant. Um, and I also just wanted to ask you about sort of the nature of narrative in Black Sails because that was like one of the major themes and this idea of, um, you know, building your own narrative and building yourself as a character and um, just sort of, yeah, just sort of how, how did you sort of find that? Because that was, you know, quite an important part of the show.
1: Yeah. It was, it is amazing how almost, it, it was really, it, there was so much going on. And that was the great thing. Like we, it must have been insufferable for, some of the partners of, you know, the cast who <laughs> yeah. were coming over because we would oh, we just talk about it forever. We'd spend so much time on someone's balcony, you know, because we're all in South Africa together, on someone's yeah. balcony just going over and over the little choices and the kind of themes of what was going on for each character. And, you know, it's, I don't know how many days were spent, you know, with drinking too many Castle Lights, the local beer of, of South <laughs> Africa, me and Toby Schmitz just going in depth about what's really going on. So there's some real meta stuff happening there, but, um, yeah, it, I, I don't know exactly what to say about other than it it was, I I guess it was interesting that we all, as then as actors, we all got to kind of draw from different places where Mm -hmm. I was the only one really, like I'd read treasure on again before the start of every season and always had this, that idea hanging over, you know, I I knew, even though it's, you know, it's an interesting idea of like whether you go, oh, is this him or is this what's turned, you know, is this story in the world of Black Sails inspired? Yeah, it's weird to go like, okay, how much of that is actually where Silver's going or is well, that a story inspired by what <laughs> what has happened yeah. there? You know, it, it's kind of interesting. But um, where other people, you know, were real pirates so they were drawing from other stuff or the literary world was woven through, the whole story in different yeah. ways, and I think affected characters differently. And I do think it's quite nice for me. It does feel like, you know, if you're then an actor who's got, worked on a TV show who wants to bring a book out, I do think Black Sales is the best show I could be associated with if for people to go, like, oh, maybe I will read that guy's book because there is such a kind of literary thread through that yeah. show. And if I,
0: you know, it's sort of, it's, been it's it does feel different. like a very sort of writerly show. It's, a, I think yeah. a lot of the friend, my friends who, who, who who enjoy it are sort of um, readers and writers. And there's, we, we all get very excited when we're talking about it and, you know, about the the decisions that were made and, and everything and, and and costume and everything. But, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, but
1: it is, you know, and the fact that, like, so many great writers on there, but the fact it really all did come through John mm-hmm. and he, you, you know, he really had that. It, it felt like one story. You know, and that's why each you know each episode is a chapter in in this one story, and it just yeah. it's amazing to pull it off the way that he did. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely incredible. Okay, so moving on, this is the part of the podcast where I ask you the questions that I ask everybody. So, what have you been reading?
1: So, what have I been? I have recently. I've just started uh, the Bone Ships. Uh, mm-hmm. by R.J. Barker, which is very on brand and really yes. enjoyed that. Um, then just before that, I think uh did the, listen to the audio book of A Little Hatred, Joe Abercrombie, yeah. uh, which, I mean, that is, I don't know if you've listened to um, Joe Abercrombie with Stephen Pacey doing his audio books. They are just a masterclass. It's very daunting to listen to that before I recorded mine because <laughs> his yeah. skill with accents and voices is absolutely astounding so yeah i think it's like i'm i went for the beginning of the year i felt like i was eating books and then mm-hmm. because i've just been yeah i feel like the last month i've had to Partly because i've been putting the finishing touches on the sequel to secret of the last mile that's kind of that's kind of where i am i've slowed down a little bit but yes uh, the bone chips is going great
0: oh cool I'll I'll let RJ know that will probably tickle him. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. we've been having a little chat on Twitter, so I think he knows I've started. But yeah, uh, (laughs) fantastic.
0: Oh fab. And so, what do you listen to?
1: So I everything I do. It's funny I I I roll my eyes at anyone who brags about their ability to make a good playlist, but I also take huge pride in the fact of being able to curate (laughs) a playlist. I often take that role on, you know. In the makeup room or in a or backstage at a show. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, and and try to pull stuff from everywhere. I've been going through a, a real uh, elbow phase recently. So, yeah, as far as new, I was just thinking, because I keep, I've been looking at new stuff and I don't, I don't think there's anything too recently that's popped up new, but yeah, elbow, I've just been, yeah, I, there's something, there's something about that sentimental, <laughs> you know, Manchester accent that's just yeah. uh, i think that might have been where my head's at the moment i think maybe it's a bit of traveling around you know so many of so many elbow songs are about you know drinking with your friends at home and yeah. you know and being <laughs> sentimental for growing up so yeah that that's on my playlist at the moment
0: oh cool and what have you been watching and that can be anything watching tv or oh yeah
1: okay i maybe maybe a month ago so I, mean, I look i did watchmen when it was coming mm-hmm. out absolutely love that um that's kind of the first show in a while that i was kind of hitting refresh waiting for the new episode to to roll out and yeah so that was yeah it's, it's been a while since i you know we get so used to these days with the stream stuff in a in a whole chunk or you know you go oh, i'll get around to that where that was it's rare to feel like you're okay it's you know, it's meant to be dropping now. When's it going to yes. come out? So that's the <laughs> last show I really got into. I can't wait for these last few episodes of BoJack Horseman to come out um, shortly because uh, that show is just mm-hmm. oh, exquisite. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of, once again, pull, pulling from everywhere. But um, And finally saw Knives Out recently, which I was oh. just... I can't believe how good that script is. I <laughs> actually was stunned almost in tears at the end just by going how beautiful just how how beautiful it was it's
0: perfection isn't it? <laughs> it it really is
1: because it does as far as like okay for the genre of what that is for the you know for that kind of movie it fulfills all those obligations it ticks all the box all the boxes from a kind of who you know who done it in that style it it does all of that stuff on the surface but underneath there is so much going on it's uh, yeah i was absolutely in awe Yeah,
0: I need to see it again, I think, because I probably missed so much of it, but it just adds stunning. And uh, a lot of my friends do knitting and there's been quite a lot of talk about all of the knitwear in that film because it's even the knitwear is stunning. It's just beautiful.
1: (laughs) There's just so much happening there, but but it's still joyous. And I think that, you know, while... You know, and I, you know, I'm right in there where well, there's so much to say about the world about how, you know, screwed up it is right now. And there are, I, I do think that's why we need to keep selling, telling stories and why art is so important because you, as yes. with, you know, we've seen so much, especially in recent years. I mean, you can't change people's minds generally, like with facts or like right to their face. No. You need to sneak in through the back of their brain somehow. And that's kind of what these stories can sometimes, if there's any way to, flick a few switches in people's minds to see you know the their fellow you know human beings a bit differently and to and to open their eyes to how they're living their life and how it can be damaging to people around them and how we need mm-hmm. to have a shift in consciousness it you, yeah, you i don't think you, it doesn't seem to be working through you know saying it to people's faces no. <laughs> and that just does feel like a feeling like a whole oh, you're saying all the right things and doing it in a way that you don't feel like you can conf- it doesn't feel like it's conf- I mean, look, it gets pretty smacking your face by the end, but it feels like it sneaks in there in a great way and has some fun at the same time. So yeah. There we so, go. At least there we go. There was a big gush about knives out. <laughs> it oh no, it's,
0: I think it's one one of my, my favorite films that I've seen this year so far. And the next thing I was gonna ask. Now you mentioned Grim Fandango earlier, and that's part of the sort of like um detective noir thing but um do you, do you play games and I, that could be board games or video games or anything
1: look I'm huge a huge gamer um I find less and less time for it uh, mm-hmm. which but at the moment but I, look, I love playing games I you know have been carrying my ps4 around the world for a yeah. while and had the switch you know at the moment you know as especially right now that I'm writing novels I've had to more go leave that yeah back home um but uh in the middle of a big campaign of divinity original sin 2 that with my brother and our other friend uh, josh it's it, it, it it's so rare we like it, it's kind of like a once a month thing but we mm-hmm. will try and once a month get together open a bottle of wine and do like a whole day you know eight to ten hours yeah of just working through that game together it's It's fantastic. We're having the best time. And in a way that kind of lets me, I'm kind of accepting at the moment that while I'm not getting to play many games that every now and again, we get to sit down and really indulge. That said, I did get sick recently and managed to over, like I couldn't really do anything for a couple of days. So
0: yeah.
1: Mashed out disco Elysium, which is bang on brand for, you know, alcoholic detective and and absolutely (laughs) love that. So um, I, I did enjoy, it kind of takes that these days for me to, Play games on my own is just to be so unwell that yeah. nothing else works. So yeah, Disco Elysium was great. Divinity Originals Sin two, we are loving, um, and it, but it still might take us another year to get through that game.
0: Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And um, so, what do you think needs more love?
1: I was. This was. This dwelling at <laughs> the back of my head through all this, <laughs> like going like, oh, huh. um. I think, look, I'm. I I wish I could say something more profound, you know, that, <laughs> that gets us away from media and stuff. But I I haven't quite formed that idea in in a way that I could articulate in the best way. So I will actually. So I'll just say, like, everyone's what everyone is creating. I think that we so we there because there is so much content now and because we get all of it generally for free we subscribe to these yeah. things you know and whether it's music or tv or anything an and entitlement seems to come with that I, I do feel it was always interesting with actors that you used to be treated differently depending on you if you were in film or tv yeah. because i think it, it used to be like and you'd watch it if you you know my hang- around with actors who were recognised. If you were a film actor, people would generally leave you alone because go, oh no, there, don't disturb them. Where if you were, you know, someone who was on TV all the time, because you were sent for free, like dropped into people's houses, Yeah, there was an entitlement people had over you. Anyway, that just leads into me going, because we get so much content now and it's just dropped at our doorstep, we're so dismissive and we're also so ready to pick things apart, like we want everything to be on our terms. And Instead of taking things as what they are, which is often, you, and like everything should have an answer, a fully formed answer, where I think most creative stuff comes more from a question and is often people putting their feelers out into the world and going, hey, I'm looking at things from this angle and turning this around this way. What do you think? You know, is there anyone out there who sees things this way or am I maybe onto something? And I think every, yeah, that everything deserves a bit more love when you're looking at anything anyone puts out into the world that has a bit of their imagination a bit of their thoughts a bit of the ideas um you know this the way it's all aggregated through reviews and star systems and this Mm -hmm. i think takes us actually away from what the act of creating is most of the time which is a reach you know someone reaching out to other humans seeing they see the world the way they do um and yeah, so I just think, and it's hard. I don't know how we get back to that, but I do think we, you know, before either sitting down to watch a film or a show, or open that first page of a book, or you know, listen to that new album, it's. I think there is a switch you can put on your head that remember that looks a- through it to the humans behind it, rather than just seeing it as like, does this tick all the boxes that I want from yeah. um, this thing that i'm generally paying you know they're getting incredible value for money for if you look at all the all the things we get for free or very little yeah. anyway there we go is it not the most profound you know also no
0: no no no, every no. actually there's really, an really... everyone around
1: as well but yeah that's my it's, that's my take
0: it's really interesting now i do have a couple of questions from twitter okay. and ra smith uh, asks uh, have you managed to get the theme tune for black sales out of your head yet
1: um i it's funny, when I think about it, I always, it comes to me with Zach McGowan's voice over uh, <laughs> the top of it. Uh, the first time, well, because we, we, I remember the first time going to Comic-Con, um, actually, I think we were there, were we there for Outlander? Maybe, it might have been the Outlander, premiere. there was a couple of us down there, just cranking that in the car as we were driving around. Drunk after maybe the Outlander premiere, um, and but also then every year we like the before we started the next season we'd all get together in a in the theater in in Cape Town and watch the season before, and all of us singing along, you know, like, and but it's Zach anyway. Zach's voice always stands out. That I can't listen to the theme song without hearing Zach yelling over the top of it, which is <laughs> which makes me smile.
0: Brilliant um and he's also he's been very cheeky in asking a second question and it and it's um if you could possibly make it to Eastercon he would be very grateful
1: oh uh, where is that
0: oh now you're asking <laughs> i will so, i will find out and i will let you know but i know okay. i know some people involved in it so um i can oh, certainly pass on information
1: yeah i look i've been i really I've I probably, so what is it? We're in, we're still in January. We we, probably,
0: we are still in January. The 11th of, of January. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I, I I reckon I've been in, you know, 10 to 15 different beds, you know, in different oh, places right, since yeah. I, you know, this year. So I'm really bad at, like, I haven't hit many cons of that at all because I never know where the hell I'm going to be, but hopefully... Now that I've got the book and I want to, you know, get that out and 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 meet people, hopefully I'll be planning more of that in the future. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best.
0: Cool. Uh, I'm giving you
1: the longest answers to everything today. No, no
0: it's cool. The <laughs> okay. other the other thing is, a friend of mine uh, runs Super Relaxed Fantasy Club, and we would love to see you there at some point. Which, um, you know, whenever you're free, just drop in. Uh, but yeah. like you know, when that goes on.
1: <laughs> well, look, I am. It, it's it's with it's the acting stuff that like. Hey, if I was mm-hmm. just writing books, I'd be able to plan my life. It's the acting stuff that throws things around. But hopefully, yeah. I will be around the UK in a uh, like middle of the year. I actually, I definitely will be. Hopefully, it will be long enough to do some stuff like that. So I'll be once some plans get locked in. I'll definitely let you know.
0: Cool, fantastic. And I've had a question from. Uh, what's, oh, I can't pronounce that name, um, Farah Bobby on Twitter, and um, <laughs> they ask, what was the most physically or emotionally challenging scene that you've had to film in Black Sails, Glitch, or In Excess?
1: Oh, well, physically, I mean, probably diff- physical, look, the underwater stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it was it was actually great, and I loved every second of it, of it in the end, but I had a real phobia of it going into it, and... Um, and it was still pretty daunting. I had to really, yeah, all that, that underwater stuff was mad. And it took, we were shooting it all through season four, you know, well, like we had yeah. to because it was on three, we obviously in three different tanks, you know, at many different times. And okay. um, <laughs> yeah, and it was especially, you know, it, it's a weird psychological thing because, you know, I got my scuba certificate in preparation of that. Mm-hmm. And what makes you be a, you know, generally all the training is like how you, well, you're in charge, you know, you know, how to, you know, you're training how to get it out, out of this situation where your area is what to do if you lose the regulator and all this. But then it's like, you know, and look, we had the best people on that job. So it was just a different thing to put your trust in everyone else.
0: Yeah.
1: Cause I was like pinned to the bottom of a, you know, many meter pool mm-hmm. in like my back was pinned down and then my legs pinned down with the cannon while you're waiting for the camera to be set up and props to be put in place and everyone to get ready, sometimes for like, you know, just sitting there for 20 minutes.
0: Croaking. Waiting
1: for anything. (laughs) Knowing, you know, I'm not in charge of my air now. That's going to a hose on the back of a truck somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can't, you can't see the dials on that. If something goes wrong, I've got no way. I can't get to the surface. That just, that psychologically was really tough. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that and and physically amongst all that, just you know, I got my breath hold to like two minutes. So all that was a whole physical thing, Uh, and emotionally, I will say, doing the NXS story with never tear us apart. Yeah. When you're handed, you know, the story of someone who really existed, whose you know bandmates, friends, are involved in the production and are there, and then you're getting the stuff like you know, the night he died and around that, that's mm-hmm. really, really heavy. Um, and, you know, but another th- another thing where everyone involved in that really did their best to honour Michael, his story, people who cared about him. But, um yeah, it took it very seriously. So that's still, yeah, that was a hell of a thing to do.
0: Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for your time today. That's been absolutely brilliant. It's been an absolute joy talking to you.
1: Great talking with you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I thanks for letting me waffle on about many things, but it's ah no uh, it, it, look it's it's the great joy of being involved in a show like Black Sales, where I happily talk about it all day because just feel so lucky to be a part of it. So always <laughs> happy to deviate down that road.
0: cool. but but you know, thank you very much. And um. I was gonna say something, and I've forgotten. um <laughs> when when is the book coming out? That's one thing I haven't done.
1: Oh, yes, okay. <laughs> um so it's out in australia it probably will be out in yeah and by the time this goes to where this will be it'll be out in the well Well, actually when's this going out? because i think it's the sixth that's out in the uk okay, i should know this is terrible that i
0: don't i'm, I'm yeah, gonna um, have to motor i've gotta get a motor on it um and finish the previous podcast editing and then this one but this one will be an easier edit because the other one was a, like a discussion between three people so this, yeah, this one will be an right. easy edit
1: <laughs> yeah um Look, yeah, so it's like pretty much first week of Feb, it's out in the UK, and then kind of end of Feb, it'll be out in the US, other place, you know, there's so many places, and then it'll be coming out in Italian, Spanish, German, and like Brazilian, Portuguese as well, um, sometime through the year, but yeah, kind of out of Australia already, coming out in Feb through UK and US, and continually continuing to roll out around the world throughout the year. But yeah... And then the audio book should be dropping very soon as well, uh, ebook as well through Fairball hit everywhere around the world. So yeah, yeah it's it's coming out.
0: Cool, That's very exciting. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. So I uh, said, thank you for, so much for your time. It's been an absolute blast talking to you the, um, today.